Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys here. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. And, man, I'm really excited to, to be up here today again. I, I had a week off last week after coming out, coming back off of vacation. I was here but, uh, but didn't speak last week, so I'm, I'm excited to be back on the stage today and sharing with you guys. And I'm excited about this series. I don't know if this series has had the impact on you that it has on me, but I've really enjoyed the, the dog days of summer series that we've been in. Today is the last week of this series, but uh, I'm, I'm excited about next week too. But, but really looking forward to and really enjoyed what we've walked through together over the last couple of weeks. If you haven't been with us in week one of this series, we said that, that dog days, and the definition of dog days are these days where it gets hot outside. And when it's hot outside, I don't know about you, but it's true for me. I don't feel like doing anything. Like when I'm hot, I'd rather just sit. And oh, just like just kind of take a load off, like just chill out. And that's, that's kind of a symptom of dog days. And one of, one of Merriam-Webster's definitions for, for dog days are days of periods of inactivity or stagnation. And I don't know about you, but when it gets hot and gets to the summertime, I feel a lot of that. And that, that, that seems, seems to permeate its way into even my, my spiritual life, that I just I get lazy with my Bible reading and and with my, my, my prayer times and those kind of things. And so we've taken an opportunity to focus in on some of the things that Jesus told us to remember and some of the things that he told us to look forward to. Week one, we talked about baptism and how that for those of us that have made this public declaration of our faith and followership of Jesus, that we should live up to our baptism because we made a public declaration, that we should be held accountable to a higher standard. And we want to we live up to this measure of identifying with and identifying as Christ. Because if you've gone public with that, then I think people should be able to look at you and expect some, some, some higher levels of morality and some higher levels of holiness and righteousness and all of those things. And we, we talked about that in week one. And then last week, uh, man, I was so, so encouraged and, and, and just felt taught and poured into. Cameron uh, Park was up here last week. One of our board of advisors and connect group uh, facilitators was up here. And he taught us last week about the Lord's Supper. And as he came into the office and kind of shared with us what he was planning to talk about, I told him then, and I really enjoyed it last week. He gave me another element, another way to appreciate the Lord's Supper because all my life, and I've grown up in church, I've taken communion, the Lord's Supper, probably, I don't want to say hundreds of times, but maybe hundreds of times in my lifetime I've participated in communion. And it's always been a time for me of, of looking back and remembering what Jesus had done, and it's always been a time in maybe even in recent years of, of examination, a time of looking in and looking around. But, but Cameron, for me, last week, gave me another element in, in looking forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And I'd never thought about that. I'd never, I'd never identified that out of the Luke passage that he taught out of last week, man. So I so appreciated what he brought last week and giving me even another layer of something that I can appreciate about the Lord's Supper. And it was so cool for me to be able to take a week off and then stick somebody up here that... That, that taught me something. Man, I, I so enjoyed that and hope that you did as well. If you weren't here, I'd encourage you to go listen to the podcast. It's worth your time of listening to the last couple of messages in this series to understand where, where we fall and what we get from things like baptism and the Lord's Supper. It's just been a great, great series for me. And today I want to talk about that thing that, that ties all of this together, the baptism, the Lord's Supper, and all the other elements of our faith. As we're on this, this journey of becoming more and more like Christ and learning to live that out, there's something that ties all of that together, something that they all have in common. And it's this idea 
of worship. It's this, this, this thing that we get to do called worship. It's all worship. And to give you a kind of a working definition, and this will serve as kind of our kicking off point for today, if you want to write this down, a definition of worship is this. Worship is anything. It's anything, 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 anything. Anything we do in response to who God is or what he's done. As we're able to identify the the move of God or the, the presence of God in our lives, anything we do in response to that is worship. Now, it's something that we, that we should do. For, for a lot of us, as we've grown in our faith, it's just something that we feel almost compelled to do. But maybe you didn't know this. It's something that God is, is looking for. God is searching for and seeking out worship. And, and there's, there's, a, there's a right way and there's a wrong way to worship that the Bible tells us. And as a matter of fact, Jesus is the one that, that taught us this and told us this. And he did so... Through a couple of verses that we're going to look at in just a, just a minute, from the encounter, his encounter with the woman at the well found in John chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles and you want to be flipping over to John chapter 4, that's where we're going to be in just a, a moment or two. But just to kind of catch you up on what we're, what we're talking about here. This is Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well. And I, I've already taught that story twice within the last year, like taught through the story. So I'm not going to teach through the story again, but to kind of catch you up on what's going on if you're not familiar with the story. Jesus encounters a Samaritan woman at the well, and they weren't supposed to communicate because Jewish men didn't talk to Jewish women, and Jews didn't talk to Samaritans. So it's kind of like double whammy reasons he shouldn't talk to this woman. But he does talk to her, and during the course of their conversation, their conversation turns to this idea of worship. And Jesus says something really profound that we should pay attention to as it pertains to not only her worship and not only the worship of those during that time, but pertinent to our worship today. And he says this in John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. He says this, But the hour is coming and is now here. When the true worshipers, I want to call your attention to that. The true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Now, a couple of things that I want us to pay attention to here as it pertains to, to these couple of verses. Number one, Jesus says that the Father is, is looking for true worshipers. Now, it would seem logical to me. I'm, I'm a logic guy. I like logic. I like logistical thinking. It, it would seem right and true to me that if there is such a thing as a true worshiper, then there has to be something that is an untrue or inauthentic or fake or false worshiper. That seems logical, right? If there's a true, there has to be an untrue. So the Father is looking for true worshipers. That's number one. And then Jesus says that the Father is seeking those people. That the Father is looking for true worshipers. He's looking for them. The question that we have to ask ourselves is will he find one in us? If the Father is seeking out true worshipers, 
will he find one in me? Will he find one in you? Maybe you're thinking, I don't know. Because I don't know what it means to be a true worshiper. Good news. Good news. Ready? Here it comes. Here it comes. Jesus gave us the answer. Don't you like it when the teacher gives you the answer to the test before he gives you the test? Right? So Jesus gave us the answer. Here's what he said. That true worshipers are those who worship in spirit and truth. Awesome. What does that mean? Right? Like, that's what a true worshiper is, and it sounds all sexy and cool because it's in the Bible, but... What does it even mean to worship in spirit? Maybe you didn't even know that you could worship wrong. Maybe you didn't even know there was a right way and a wrong way. But Jesus says, not looking for true, which means they're untrue, which means there's a wrong way to do it and a right way to do it. And the right way to do it is in spirit and truth. What do those two things mean? Well, that's what we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about together today. We're going to start with the, in my opinion, the easier of the two, and it's truth. Truth seems plain enough, right? Here's a, here's a good working definition of truth. I got this from the, one of the dictionary websites. It says this. Truth is that which is in accordance to reality or accordance with reality. Truth is that which is real. And there's only one, ver- there's only one thing that can be real. There's only one true thing in every scenario. Now, we live in, in a day and a time where there's been a pervasive amount of information to suggest that truth is relative, that the truth is, is what, what you find and what you believe in with terms that are unfortunately very misleading but sound really scientific or really in tune. We, we're beginning to hear things like your truth, Just live your truth and believe your truth. And as long as you believe it, then that's your truth. And if I could just state plainly and clear, there's no such thing as your truth. See, that's just a really wordy, misleading way of saying your opinion. Because as it pertains to truth, there are only two options. There's the truth and there's your opinion. But there's only one real truth because truth is that which corresponds or is in accordance with reality. Now, as Christians, when we talk about truth, we're talking about this, this, this belief system that is built around something that we have researched, something that we have studied, something that we have examined, something that we have, we have spent the time discovering and determining is real. And I've taught countless sermons on the the validity and and the truth of Scripture because we believe that encompassed in this miracle book that we have is the truth. I'm not, again, for the sake of time today, I don't have time to re-preach the why you should believe the Bible message. If if you don't believe the Bible and if you haven't heard one of those sermons either here or somewhere else before, and I'd love to have a conversation with you about why you can trust and believe that this Bible a quick synopsis, uh, it was written by 40 different authors over the span of 1,500 years on three different continents with no contradictions or, or, or visible air. Like it's, you can trust it. 
Again, I don't have time to re-preach that sermon. If you don't believe that the Bible is true or can be trusted, please shoot me an email, brian at fusioncitychurch.com. We'll meet, have coffee, and I'll do my best to convince you why you should believe the Bible. But just for the sake of time today, here's the premise under which we're going to operate, that we here at Fusion City Church, we have an unyielding trust and confidence in the validity of the truth of Scripture. We believe it. And we've done the research. We've, we've done the reading. We've looked and we've determined this to be real and for it to be right and for it to be true. So we believe the truth. And as we, as we think through Scripture, we, we believe it and understand it to be true. So that's the, that's the truth half of things. We, we find our truth in what we are able to determine from Scripture and what we've researched. Spirit, on the other hand, seems a bit more intangible. Spirit, intangible, see, because you can't see it. It's not tangible. Anyway, a little joke in my own mind. If you didn't get it, listen to the podcast. You'll get it later. Um, the spirit seems a, a bit more abstract, something that we can't really maybe wrap our minds around what it means to be or what it means to worship in spirit. And I think that something that Jesus told a man named Nicodemus might provide some insight for, for us or, or help for us as we try to understand what it means to, to embrace this idea of spirit because Jesus is having a conversation with Nicodemus and at some point in their conversation, Nicodemus wasn't a believer, and he's, he's saying that you have to be born a second time. And Nicodemus was really wrestling with this idea of, of a second birth or a new birth or a new life. And Nicodemus is like, wait a minute, you, gotta, you mean I got to crawl back in my mom and be born again? And Jesus is like... Nah, man, that's my translation. Like, so, so Jesus breaks it down for him and he says, no, 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 here, here's what, here, John chapter 3, so just a, a chapter earlier, he says this, Jesus bifurcates spirit and flesh. He says this, John chapter 3, verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. It's physical. We were all born that way. If you're here today, you were born of the flesh. Like you had a mama. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Notice the capital S, spirit, is lowercase s, spirit. In other words, in other words, what Jesus is communicating to Nicodemus that I believe we can take away from as well is that all of us have been born physically, but there's another birth that happens when we embrace Jesus as Lord, when we accept him as Lord, believing that he is both Savior and Lord, when we embrace that, that something happens, that God's spirit awakens something in our spirit. And all of us have a spirit. It's what makes you you. It's the internal part of you. But when we embrace Lord, Jesus as Lord, God's spirit awakens something. We are born. There's something born inside of us where his spirit communicates with and begins to inform our spirit. John Piper calls it a quickening. And I like that because I was a huge Highlander fan in my teenage years. And if you didn't watch the Highlander growing up, you needed a better movie education. Um, it was awesome because it was all action and fighting, and I'm a nerd. So I just I like science fiction stuff. So I grew up loving the Highlander. If you don't know what they talk about, the quickening in there. But, but John Piper calls what happens to us when we embrace the Jesus as Lord as a quickening as well. He says this. He says, true worship comes only from spirits, that's ours, lowercase lower s, comes only from spirits made alive 
and sensitive by the quickening of the Spirit of God. That there's something happens internally for us when we embrace Jesus as Lord, where his spirit begins to awaken and add sensitivity and awareness to our spirit. God's spirit ignites and energizes our spirit. So here's my working definition of spirit. Again, I, I, this was informed by dictionary.com's definition of spirit. But here's, here's something you can write down as the definition of spirit. Spirit is the non-physical part of a person that is the epicenter of their emotions. So, so truth is what we can know. Spirit is what we feel. We've got thought and emotion. How we think and how we feel. And Jesus told the woman at the well that he was looking, that God was looking, the Father was looking for those who would worship in spirit, how they felt, and in truth, what we know. That's the kind of worshiper that God is looking for, head and heart. Now, John Piper usually says things better than I can say them, and so I'm going to let him. Uh, because I found this quote from his book called Desiring God. And if you don't own that book, you should buy it. It's amazing. But he said this in Desiring God. He said, worship must be vital and real in the heart. And worship must rest on a true perception of God. There must be spirit and there must be truth. Truth without emotion Produces dead orthodoxy. Now, if that word throws you at all, orthodoxy, orthodoxy, wow, I'm making up new words this morning. Orthodoxy are the religious practices. It's the things that you do because of the religion in which you are part of, right? So if you're part of a religion, this is, Christianity is a religion, and so as part of this, there are some things that we do. That's our orthodoxy. It's the practices of religion. He says that truth without emotion just produces a dead orthodoxy. You're just going through the motions, produces dead orthodoxy or a church full or half full, most likely, of artificial admirers. Let that sink in for a minute. Artificial. And we do the things that we do, but it doesn't, doesn't mean, we don't feel anything. We don't mean anything. On the other hand, he says, emotion without truth produces empty frenzy and cultivates shallow people who refuse the discipline of rigorous thought. But true worship comes from people who are deeply emotional and who love deep and sound doctrine. Strong affections for God rooted in truth are the bone and marrow of biblical worship. It, it's, it's a both and approach that in order for us to worship in spirit and in truth, it requires us to engage both our hearts and our head. It, Jesus never asked us to, to disengage our brains to follow something that is untrue because what is true about Jesus can be known. It, there's, there's a truth to it. it. It's true. It's real. And that can be determined. So there is truth. But we're not supposed to just go through the motions because we know it to be true. But there's something that in which our heart should respond to that which we know. 
That it should should inspire and inform and energize and ignite something in us to where our emotions respond to that which we know. That it requires us to engage both. In order for us to be a true worshiper, we must engage both heart and head. So here's my working definition. This is the big idea for today. That true worship is this. True worship is the informed mind and the inspired heart responding to the glory of God. That is the definition of true worship. If we are to be the true worshipers that the Father seeks, then we are to worship with an informed mind. And the best way to get that is through reading Scripture, I promise you. And with an inspired heart. Both our minds and our hearts responding to the glory of God. What we learn about God should move us And what we feel or sense should be informed by what we know of God's nature and his character. Pastor Jonah often encouraged us that when when we sing in worship, that we shouldn't just sing the words up on a screen. But that we should allow the words of a song to to preach to us, that as we sing the words, that it should preach to us as we sing. Music is typically associated with emotion and how we feel, but there's so much truth in the songs that we sing about our Lord and our Savior and our Heavenly Father that we should allow those words to to preach to us. But worship is so much more than just our singing. Anytime we, anytime we celebrate the birth of a child and we recognize the miracle of birth, that's, that's worship. It's our celebrating what God has done. And anything we do in response to who God is or what he's done is worship. But, but it's also when we seek solace and comfort over the loss of someone that we love. When we turn to God, recognizing that he is where our comfort and our peace resides, that's worship too. When we forgive because we understand that we have been forgiven much, that's, that's worship. To forgive somebody because you know that you're forgiven, that's, that's worship. When we're, when we're generous and when we serve because we realize that, that God has entrusted us with resources that we can leverage for the good of other people, that's worship. Because anything we do in response to who God is or to what he's done is worship. And the great thing is, is that when we accept Jesus as Lord, that, the, that his spirit comes to live in us and makes us more sensitive and more aware of God's moving and of his presence in our lives. That, that we be, we're able to identify God more so that we have more opportunity to respond, which is our worship. All of us have have reason to worship. As I was was preparing today's message, it's interesting to me how things just tend to show up. But I was sitting in in, in my chair, and if you're a dude, most likely you have your chair at your house. Sitting in my in my chair at the house, and the TV was on. I wasn't even watching it; it was just background noise. I wasn't even paying attention. 
But I was doing some research for the message and kind of half looking at the TV and half, you know, my computer and half my Bible. Anyway, I had a big mess. But the movie Hook was on. I hadn't seen this movie in 20, like, it's got to be 20 years. I was a kid the last time I saw the movie Hook. And so I was kind of half watching the movie and half writing a, a message. And the two began to kind of synergize, I guess. And I began to find biblical principles in the movie of Hook with Robin Williams and so here's what, I, here's what I came up with. At one part of the movie, Peter Pan, it's, it's about Peter Pan, if you're not familiar with the movie Hooks, the Peter Pan story. And Robin Williams plays, plays Peter Pan, who grew up, and now he's trying to be young again. Anyway, that's the, whole, that's the movie. Spoiler alert. It was 20 years ago. You should have seen it by now. Um, <laughs> but Peter Pan is trying to fly, but he's forgotten how to fly. And the, the criteria in order for him to fly again is that he has to find a happy thought. He ha- just, and they keep telling him, just one happy thought and you'll fly. And so like, you, you, the, you just get the picture. You got all these little kids holding up signs of things trying to inspire him to think a happy thought. And all the words are misspelled. You know, it's like a cute movie. So like, they're holding up these signs like bugs and horses and bubble gum and candy and birthdays. and all, Like trying to help him come. And he, he can't. He can't even find one happy thought to be able to fly. And then, again, spoiler alert. Um, as it continues on he remembers that now he's a dad and his happy thought is is his kids and he's able to go back to this one thing that is always true in his life that that he's a dad and he's going to always be a dad and that becomes his happy thought and he takes off and flies and he defeats Captain Hook happy ending right so there's your that's what happens and here's what I thought man isn't that true of us that, that if, if we're looking for an opportunity to worship, the book of James tells us that all good gifts come from our heavenly Father above that likes to give good gifts to his children. Every good thing in my life. That if I can find one, if I can find my happy thought, just one, then I have reason to worship. I have reason to praise. I have reason to celebrate. Because that good thing came from my heavenly father. So this morning, what's your happy thought? I don't even like the word happy. Like happiness is circumstantial. But, but for the sake of my hook illustration and the idea of teaching us how to worship and praise this morning, what's, what's your happy thought? What's the thing that you could point to? In a few minutes, we're going to sing a song. And in the, 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 the bridge of the chorus, I'm not sure which. One of the lines of the song, it says, I... I choose to praise. I choose. I choose to glorify God. And I just told you a few minutes ago that Pastor Jonah always tells us that you know, we, should, we should let those words preach to us. So you got a few minutes to find your happy thought before we sing the line of that song. But I hope that as we sing that line together that, man, this place just erupts in praise of us preaching to ourselves that I have reason to celebrate this morning. Now, what I know to be true, though, and it may be the case for some of you in this room this morning, and it's been, it's been the case at, at points in my life, too, where the circumstances that surrounded me were so gloomy or sad or anxiety-written or stress-filled 
that, that even though I even though I, I had some happy thoughts, that they, they kind of got just kind of pressed out by all of the, the stress or the pressure or the grief or the anxiety. And that reminded me of something else that Pastor Jonah says. I tried to get him to preach this message and he wouldn't do it. It reminded me of something else that Pastor Jonah says. He says that it's the times that we feel like it the least that we should worship the most. That the times I feel like worshiping the least are the times that I should worship the most. And that's why I think it's important for us as Christians, maybe even those of us that are just investigating faith, that we approach our worship with this idea of spirit and truth. Because there's a lot of times that I don't feel like worshiping. And that's my spirit. Because of whatever my circumstances are or whatever I'm going through or how downtrodden I feel or whatever it is that I'm going through, I I just don't feel like praise. It's those times that I really need to press in to what I know is true, to what I know is real. Let me give you a couple things that I always know are real. And if I ever run out of things that are true, I have a big time resource for everything that is true, and it's the Bible. But let me tell you a few things that we can always go back to. Kind of like Peter Pan always went back to, to, to being a dad, right? Here's something we can always respond to as true, that God is still on his throne because he will never be dethroned. His son Jesus is still alive because he didn't stay in the tomb. That God has given us salvation through Jesus, his son, because he loved us enough and valued us enough to want an eternity with us. That he would give his son. That is always true. And at the, on the worst of the worst of the worst of days, when I feel like worship and praise the least, I can lean in to know that I am valued, that I am loved, that I was given the gift of a savior because of how much God wanted to be in relationship and receive worship and glory from me. When it gets the darkest of dark, there is where we find our light. That is what is true. And I can allow the truth of what I know about God, of who he is and what he's done to inform my spirit. And even if I have to fake it until I make it, right, my praise will be used to fight back everything that makes me feel like I don't want to worship. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna sing another song in just a few minutes. It's a new one, the, the song We Praise You. Right, and in the lines of that song, it says that our praise can be used as a weapon to silence our enemy. Praise isn't just this pretty thing that we do or that we say or that we sing. It's not that. But it is used to fight back the things that make us not want to. And the times that we feel like worshiping and praising the least. And the times that we should worship and praise the most. So in just a minute, the band's going to come out. Before they do, here's what you got to do. Here's what you got to do. You got to find your happy thought. Find your happy thought. Do it right now in your own mind. I'll give you a second. In your own mind. What, what do you have to be grateful for this morning? And, and as that begins to, to take root in your mind, maybe, just maybe, there's some of you in this room this morning that, man, you walk in here today, not like, I don't even feel like going to church. Which, by the way, 
when you don't feel like going to church, probably the time you should go to church. It's all the same. But, but, but maybe what you need is not to feel something different because you're already feeling enough. Your spirit this morning might feel overwhelmed, squelched and crushed and pushed out and pressed down. But what you need this morning is a, is a big helping and dose of truth. Here's what's true. God knows you. God loves you. And God gave his son for you. And if you have placed your faith and trust in him, then there is an eternity that waits for you with him. That your eternity is going to be spent with him, not in your current circumstances. That even if the rest of your earthly existence remains in the circumstances you're in, and maybe you even did it to yourself, it's your fault, you made the mistake, you, messed, you misstepped, you did something wrong, and you're going to be forced to live with the consequences of your decision for the rest of your life on earth one day. And that life's going to go away. And your eternity is going to be spent with the one who knows you, and loves you, and gave his son for you. Yeah, we can clap for that. And maybe that's just enough of the glimmer of hope that you need to praise and worship your way out of whatever circumstances you feel pressing you down right now. So let me pray for us. And then we're going to sing. We're going to worship. And we're going to praise together. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we think through and look into, God, all that you are, all that you've done, as we examine our light in light of your nature, your character, your goodness, Father, it is my hope, my prayer, God, that all of us in this room right now find the space in our own mind, the room in our heart. God, to worship, to give you glory for who you are. God, help us this morning to respond to your goodness and your greatness, maybe even in spite of our circumstances. Father, you're worthy of it. And so we'll give it to you. Our praise for who you are, for how you love, for the gifts that you give. We love you, Father. We thank you for the Son and the hope that we have through him. In his name I pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand and sing with us, please?